Political speech at work and the First Amendment. Are we as free as we think to speak our minds? Grant Osborne from Warden Smith explains. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. It's great to be here with you today. Our topic is about politics in the workplace, but really, more specifically, it's about free speech at work. And so I'm sure there are bosses out there that are just tired of hearing arguments between employees at the water cooler about elections and politics. And they're probably thinking that they need to introduce some new workplace policies to stop these future discussions from uh, blowing the place up. But uh, before they do that, you might want to refer them to this episode. We've got a wonderful uh, guest who's going to be talking about that. He's an employment lawyer. His name is Grant Osborne, and he's from the law firm of Ward and Smith. Welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a uh, quite a political season. Looks like we're uh, not quite out of it, and I'm sure you've been hearing a lot of conversations around the office place yourself. Oh, oh yes. Uh, politics is a, a very controversial and uh, pervasive topic these days. And as we were discussing before uh, we went on, uh, we think it's going to remain that way for some time, regardless of the outcome of the election. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you were you wrote a wonderful piece on this. I think so well timed. Uh, you and your co-author Justin Hill, who also works at uh, Warden Smith, with you, and uh, this was a National mm-hmm. Law Review article, and it was titled "Political Speech in the Workplace and What If Anything to Do About It." So really liked how you walked through the First Amendment and talked about the different types of employment relationships and how that might impact it. So let me just start from the beginning, if you don't mind, there, Grant. So sure. the First Amendment, you know, it guarantees us freedom of speech against encroachment from the government. But when it comes to the workplace, that freedom uh, can be curtailed a little bit or added to a little bit, depending on whether you work for a, a place of public employment or more of a private sector job. So maybe just briefly walk us through that and we'll get into the details. Sure. So the the question we're discussing today is political speech in the workplace and what employers uh, may lawfully do to control it, if anything. The starting point, as the article indicates, is the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, because that does impose controls on what government may do regarding speech. We all, I think, are familiar with the Bill Bill of Rights, the first of which is the First Amendment, part of which prohibits uh, government from interfering with speech. As the article points out, the First Amendment provides that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Obviously, those who founded our country were terribly concerned that they not be muzzled by the crown and wanted to ensure that members of the public have the right to speak on matters of public concern, especially regarding government. As the article points out, the First Amendment applies to government control of speech, which can take any, any uh, one of any different forms, of course, but it applies to what government can do. It does not apply to what private employers can do. Well, that's a great jumping off point. And so uh, my next question for you there, Grant, is uh, the First Amendment. And so obviously most people that have been in the law school, they'll remember this from their constitutional law course. But for people out there that have not heard that, you know, the First Amendment as it's applied to the Bill of Rights, those first 10 amendments to the Constitution, you know, it applies specifically to Congress. But since that time, it has trickled down to the state and local governments. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that journey, Grant. 
Sure, I'll give you a very brief history of it. Uh, the First Amendment itself was ratified in 1791. So it's been around for a while. And as I may have said, it says that Congress should make a law abridging the freedom of speech. So the party who's restricted there is Congress. But in 1868, the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was ratified. And that amendment says, in part, I will not read the whole thing, <laughs> but says, in part, that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. So in effect, uh, that amendment has been construed by the courts since 1868 to say in effect that states and political subdivisions in states cannot enact laws that would violate the First Amendment. That's the short answer, at least I hope it is. And the reason I asked that question was because obviously when it comes to employment, you do have public, you know, public sector jobs, you know, working for the government, local and state, and then you have private sector jobs. And so by that definition, it would seem like it's cut and dry that, okay, if you work for, you know, a state actor or a a public sector position, they can't tell you what to say, but that's not necessarily the case. It often depends in what voice you're speaking with. So this, this whole part and what capacity employees speaks when it comes to it, are they speaking as a citizen? Are they speaking on their own? interest. Why is knowing that distinction important when it comes to restricting speech in a public sector job? Well, because in short, when a person becomes employed by a governmental entity, whether federal or state or local, that individual does not give up his or her First Amendment rights. So you have this tension between the First Amendment rights of the employee and the right of the employer to control its workplace. That's always a tension in the employment context. You have the rights of employer and the rights of employee. And as you may know, that relationship is heavily regulated in so many ways. And in this context, it's regulated as well, although not not so much by by statutes uh, as apply uh, often in in the employment context. That distinction matters because there are cases in which employees have the right to speak as citizens, just as anybody does. And there are cases in which the employer has the right to place some reasonable limits on what the employee of of the governmental entity says. So the first question one must ask of of any employee is, is is he or she an employee of a governmental employer or of a purely private employer? Gotcha, gotcha. So in in those instances where it's a a public sector employee, Mm -hmm. someone working for the government, uh, basically, you know, the government really can't tell them what to say, except when they're speaking uh, for their own interest. And so this would be, um, you know, maybe some example of uh, they're making some kind of commentary on a policy at work that doesn't seem to have any compelling interest to, to be kept quiet. Correct. Can you maybe give us an example of that? Sure, I can speak to the, to the analysis that applies, and I realize that, that walking through legal analyses can be like watching paint dry in some cases. It's hard to make this stuff sound really interesting, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl. So if you're, if, if you're talking about a governmental employee, I think that's what we're discussing, right? right? Somebody who works for a government. The first question is whether that person spoke as a citizen on a matter of public concern. If the answer is, if, uh, is no to that, that the matter has nothing to do with the matter of public concern, then the employee has no First Amendment right with respect to that statement because the First Amendment is not implicated. But if the employee spoke as a citizen on a matter of public concern, then, and if the employer wants to control what the employee is saying, then the question is whether the governmental employer has an adequate justification for treating the employee differently from the general public. And there are various factors that, can, that I can go into, if you'd like to hear about them, that go into that anal- analysis when somebody is speaking on a matter of public concern. 
Yeah, and I think the most obvious example is, you know, you see this on social media. You'll see someone that's in a uh, position where maybe they're enforcing the law and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they'll, they'll share some of maybe their political opinions. And mm-hmm. uh, that, makes, that makes their employer uncomfortable because they want to maintain that perception that they're unbiased when they go mm-hmm. about doing their work. Sure. So, so if, if the employer, as you say, is uncomfortable with the statement made by the governmental employee and the employer wants to do something about it, that governmental employer had better proceed with caution. Because as we've discussed, the employee has First Amendment rights to express his or her political views or views regarding any governmental concern, any public concern. But the, the employer can, in some cases, say, wait a minute, we need to put some limits on what you're saying uh, for various reasons, such as to maintain harmony in the workplace, to make sure that discipline among employees is not impaired, to avoid interference with the public employee's duties. Or, or for example, if the statement undermines the mission of the agency, as you were just saying, a public agency can't be seen as having a political ax to grind, right? So it's, it's, it's perfectly appropriate for even a governmental employer to try to place reasonable limits on what its employees say if the statements can essentially interfere with the operation of the governmental agency. Now, I'm summarizing a lot of law here. Please understand that. No problem. No problem. I think it. Uh, I think it comes off really well. I think a lot of people get a lot out of that in terms of uh, their free speech at work. So let's let's transition over to the private sector employers. Now they they have much greater liberties when it comes to restricting what is said at work, and so that can actually mm-hmm. at times extend outside of the workplace because they may have a uh, private sector interest in making sure that uh, they don't create uh, you know some type of controversy or damage the reputation of their business. So let's talk about that, and then let's talk about mm-hmm. a couple of exceptions. Sure, sure. So if we're talking about the private workplace, uh, I can speak fluently on the on the law of North Carolina where I practice and I've practiced for a long time. There could be other states' laws, but let's just talk about the private workplace in North Carolina where I practice. Private employers in North Carolina, with one conspicuous exception, are are free to restrain the speech of their employees on the job and in some cases even not on the job. I'm not recommending the latter, by the way. I'm not recommending that employers try to control what their employees say on their own time. But the law has, as far as private employers are concerned, the law has very little to say about what private employers do in the workplace with respect to the control of the speech of their employees, if that makes sense. As we said, the First Amendment doesn't apply at all. If you're dealing with a purely private employer, the First Amendment is out of the picture. So a private employer may uh, impose limitations on what its employees say. Now, obviously, the degree to which the employer does that will depend on how restrictive the employer wants to be. Nobody likes to feel censored, and no good employer is going to place unreasonable restrictions on the speech of its employees in the workplace. The goal of the employer, of course, is to maintain a productive workplace, a place, a workplace where people get along. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, there might be one real big exception to this when it comes to collective bargaining. So this is where the National Labor Relations Act of 1935 enters the picture. Now, tell us mm-hmm. about that. Now, why why is it that, that uh, an employer you know can't tell them not to talk about certain things at work or outside of work? Sure, sure. So as you heard me say about the First Amendment, the first question we ask is to whom does, does the law apply, right? And we know right. that the First Amendment applies to governmental employers, but not to private employers. The National Labor Relations Act 
applies to essentially all employers, private employers, not always in the governmental context. But in the private context, the National Labor Relations Act applies to essentially all employers. And that is the, the statute adopted many, many decades ago that essentially protects the right of employees to engage in what we call protected concerted activity. The idea being they have a right to engage in discussions with each other and sometimes even with non-employees about the terms and conditions of their employment. Obviously, that implicates speech, and that means that employers cannot lawfully prohibit employees from engaging in conversations, whether orally or in writing, in social media, in any media, about the terms and conditions of their employment. So, for example, if there are workplaces where where the employer says, do not discuss your wages, that on its face could be construed to violate the National Labor Relations Act because employees may want to talk with each other about what they're making and about their, their benefits, for example. Well, let's muddy the water. So let's say that there's a uh, private sector employer out there that's doing work for a government entity. And now that they're sort of mixing their responsibilities, there are times when that private sector employer could be pulled into the higher standard of not restricting free speech as their government employer uh, brethren out there. And so I understand there's a four-part test, at least in North Carolina, but walk us through that because I think it might apply to other states. Sure. Yes, there are there are many tests that act in terms of deciding when the actions of a private employer could be deemed to be those in effect of a government of a government. That's the question we're examining. When will the act will the actions of a private employer be so tied up with and uh, interwoven with the actions of a government that uh, government uh, uh, behavior could be implicated? And this has nothing to do with state law, by the way. This is all a matter of federal law and deciding when the First Amendment is implicated because of the relationship of a private employer with the government. Uh, you're right. You mentioned there are several tests. To drop a little legalese on you, there's what's called the public function test, the nexus test, and the symbiotic relationship test, for example. But they all essentially boil down to the same thing. The idea is whether there is a real nexus, a close nexus between the state and the challenge action of a regulated entity so that the the action of the, the regulated entity, the private employer, could be deemed to be the action of the state itself. That's really the question. So just to kind of paraphrase it a little bit, basically it says, if you're doing the function of the government at the government's behest, then we will hold you to the same standards that the government is held to. Essentially, yes. And this comes up when when an employee has been, in fact, restrained in some way, whether in advance or after the fact, punished, for example, for saying something. This comes up when, when the employee perhaps is disciplined or fired for doing that. And the employee says, wait a minute, I may have been working for a private employer, but the government was somehow involved in what I was doing, or my employer was somehow involved in a governmental operation to the extent that the limits imposed on government are likewise imposed on my employer. That's how it comes up. And the, these, the courts have devised many tests for essentially evaluating that question. Well, last question for you. So let's say there's an employer out there. doesn't matter whether they're a government-based employer or a private sector-based employer. They're uh, finding themselves after a contentious election cycle thinking that they need to update that employee handbook to uh, try to maintain some workplace harmony. So what advice would you give them as they start that journey? Communicate with your employees in a productive and constructive way. And that means typically having a well-informed personnel policy so that employees can understand what's expected of them. As I often tell my clients, an unvoiced, an unvoiced expectation is a preordained resentment. 
and is often a, a legal a lawsuit. <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, incumbent upon employers to communicate with their employees, preferably in the form of a well-crafted policy that will tell the employee as plainly as possible about what about the restrictions that the employer wishes to impose, about the purpose of the restrictions, about the kinds of speech and behavior that are not permitted. And by the way, that list should not be exhaustive. It should be illustrative. It should indicate what kinds of speech and behavior are prohibited, but shouldn't purport to be the, the entire po- universe of possibilities. And should tell the employees how to ask questions about the policy in cases of doubt, because that does come up from time to time. And finally, the policy should tell the employees what results may occur as a result of violation of the policy. So the bottom line, to put it briefly, is a good personnel policy. That's always wise. Employees appreciate it. If they know it's expected of them, the vast majority of employees are eager to, com- eager to comply with such policies. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. It was wonderful having you on. My pleasure. I hope this was helpful. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. And also we'll cite our sources for this episode on our website at legaltalknetwork.com, including Grant's article there. And I would be remiss and also probably not popular if I didn't also thank my team, producer Molly McDonough and the LTN production team for all their hard work. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 